When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on Carol. She's more focused on hitting a high note than the car in front of her. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors, which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois. On the Cowboy Sports Network from Learfield, welcome to the Oklahoma Genetics Summer Series. Brought to you by Oklahoma Genetics, bringing OSU's world-class wheat varieties to the farmers of the plains. Now, here's the voice of the Cowboys, Dave Hunziker. Welcome to another edition of the Cowboys Summer Series, brought to you by Oklahoma Genetics. I'm Dave Hunziker, and today in our final edition of the Cowboys Summer Series... A visit with former Cowboy tight end Blake Jarwin, most recently of the Dallas Cowboys, and now working his way back from injury. Before that begins, I'd like to tell you about the breakthrough that wheat farmers have been waiting for. A hard red winter wheat variety with highly effective resistance to the most yield-ravaging viruses in the high plains, wheat streak mosaic and triticum mosaic. If you add in high yield test weight and protein, the result is a breakthrough. OSU's breakthrough. Through a collaboration with Kansas State and Colorado State Universities, Breakthrough is the only variety adapted to Oklahoma with WSM1, the gene responsible for resistance to both diseases. To learn more about Breakthrough and other outstanding OSU wheat varieties, log on to okgenetics.com. That's okgenetics.com. Coming up, our visit with Cowboy tight end Blake Jarwin. This is the Cowboy Summer Series brought to you by Oklahoma Genetics from Learfield. This is the Cowboys Summer Series brought to you by our friends at Oklahoma Genetics. And speaking of friends, it's a real pleasure to be joined by a, a friend and many in the OSU family, former Cowboy tight end Blake Jarwin, who's been with the Dallas Cowboys in the NFL, a former walk-on from Tuttle, who went from walk-on to a starter in the NFL. I'm not sure what the odds are on that, but I would say that they're probably not really high. Blake Jarman, we appreciate you being with us. And, and first, sort of bring people up to date on, on what's going on with you. 
Yeah. Uh, thanks, Dave, for having me on. It's good to be here with you guys. Uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm about five months out from a, a hip surgery and, uh, you know, rehabbing every single day, getting back to normal life activities pretty well. Um, making that jump back into my athletic career, uh, we'll see kind of where that goes. But, uh, you know, I look forward to, to the rehab ahead, the challenge ahead for me. And, um, you know, just uh, enjoying life pain-free right now, I guess you could say. Do you feel like football – a return to football is a realistic option or have you been in rehab long enough to know? Do you know? Uh, everybody around me is optimistic. I'm very optimistic. I still have that, that hunger to play. I still crave the challenge of the of football and, you know, just, I love the game. So um, <clears throat> all signs are pointing towards that way, but also, you know, I just want to make sure I do it the right way. I want to make sure that if I do go back, I'm fully healthy. Uh, this is my choice. Um, no pressure from other people wanting me to come back from this. So, uh, you know, I look forward to that. Uh, I, I, I still think I've got a little bit left in me, but I want to make sure, like I said, that I'm healthy when I make that decision and I'm, I'm ready for it. You know, correct me if, if I'm wrong on this, but doing some of the reading about your situation injury-wise, your your hip injury and the procedure that was done is, is more common in other sports than it is in football. It's sort of hard to believe that, you know, almost any procedure would be uncommon in football, but what you're dealing with is something that sounds like maybe more like something a basketball guy might deal with, or maybe even a tennis player. Did I read that correctly? Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's actually never been done in the, uh, the NFL before. Uh, that doesn't mean it, it won't work properly. Everybody's optimistic about it, but there are just things about it that are, are different. Uh, it's been done in tennis guys, baseball guys, hockey guys, basketball guys, pretty much every other sport just never had a NFL guy test it. And, uh, you know, I look forward to kind of proving that it does work. I've talked to the doctor many, many times, and we're in good com communication constantly, and he's asked me how I'm feeling, and I'm asking him if I should feel this every now and then, and, and we've been on the same page the whole time. So it's uh, it's been good, uh, and I, like I said, I look forward to uh, to kind of proving the science on this thing. Oh, I'm, I'm sure. And here's the thing. How much does it help you that you've beaten the odds pretty much from the moment you step foot on this campus. I mean, you, you really have, I mean, as, as a walk on who, who came here, you know, you even played offensive tackle in high school out of necessity. I know for your team that needed you to move. And so you did, and then you came here and you were a tight end. And back in those days, we really weren't using tight ends much, but yet you were so good. We ended up using one probably a lot because of you and guys like Jeremy Seaton, but, you know, going back to the original point, you, the thing is you've beaten odds before. Does that, does that help you? The fact that, you know, people have told you before, Hey, you're a long shot and you've showed them wrong. Yeah, absolutely. I think I've kind of built my career kind of in that, that phase that, uh, that underdog kind of lifestyle. And, uh, I do appreciate it. it kind of helps me stay, stay grounded, uh, keep that, that blue collar mindset, keep going to work every single day, get better and better and better and just believe in the process. And, uh, you know, I've, I've had a lot of my journey has been constantly like that. So it's, uh, I look forward to it. Is it easier in this respect because of what it's taken for you to get to this point? There's a deeper gratitude maybe for everything that you've achieved instead of maybe that. And of course you want to continue to play, but in, instead of that, perhaps resentment of not getting to play longer because of what you've done, more of an appreciation for what you've been able to do. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I look back on my journey pretty constantly, especially through this rehab process. And I'm grateful for, for all the opportunities that have been given for the people in my life, the coaches that I've had, 
that have pushed me to get to this point. And uh, yeah, and you get to this phase in your career, and yeah, I I appreciate everything that's that I've I've been able to build for myself. Um, and you know, moving forward, it's it's going to be one of those things where I just I love the game so much, and I look forward to to maybe giving it a few more go rounds where I, I can finish on my own terms. And, and you know, that's that's kind of my mindset right now. That's that's what I want to do is, is finish this thing the right way. The finish, you know, I still have a few more things I think I can prove in this league. And uh, that keeps me going every single day. At what point in your professional experience, when you were signed as an undrafted free agent with the Cowboys, at what point did you realize, in, and we'll talk about this from your college perspective a bit later, but at what point in that professional experience did you realize when you joined the Cowboys, hey, you know what, I, I can absolutely play at this level? Or did you know going in, it's like, hey, I know I can play at this level? No, uh, you know, I've, you know, it was always a big dream of mine going to the NFL. I remember watching Monday Night Football, playing football with my brother, and, you know, we'd jump on bed, score touchdowns and stuff like that. So it always been mine to get there. And then when you get there uh, as an undrafted free agent, you know, it's an incredible accomplishment for me, and I'm so excited. But yet I look around at all the first round, you know, Taco Charlton, uh, you know, our second rounder, our fourth rounder, and they're just – getting loads of gear every single day from Nike or Adidas and everything. And it's like overwhelming. Like these guys are just going to be the next big thing. And, uh, you know, I made it a, and I'm not getting anything, you know, I may get mail from my mom, <laughs> but, uh, uh, you know, the, the cleats that they give me from the, the athletic room or the training room. But, uh, you know, that kind of, that kind of dug deep into me when I said, Hey, I want to make, you know, I want to be, I want to be a guy here and, uh, seeing people around me with all this success, I mean, I hadn't even started yet. Uh, I'm going to make a point that I would, I would make, I would conquer this thing. So um, every day I just went to work. I kept my head down, uh, kind of went back to my roots as an undraft or a, a walk-on. Uh, just kind of didn't really say a lot of stuff. Just kind of did what I needed to do day in and day out until I knew I had an opportunity to prove myself. And uh, you know, it's, it's always been kind of uh, an internal motto to me is, you know, just stay ready for that opportunity when the opportunity presents itself. And I wanted to make sure I was ready for the opportunities given to me. Uh, and so I think I did that at a young age and built on those things, earned respect for my, my teammates and my coaches and uh, kind of found a groove in there for a little bit. And I had a lot of fun, you know, kind of building this career the last five years. Yeah, that, uh, that sounds familiar. It sounds exactly how things went down at Oklahoma state when you were a college player, how much did Jason Witten help you? you know, considered one of the best tight ends of the, of the recent era of, of the NFL. Uh, yeah. That wit, wit was an incredible asset for me. Uh, part of the reason I went to Dallas was to, you know, I had a few teams in free agency that uh, I had an option to go to and I chose Dallas because uh, you know, none of them had a, a future hall of fame tight end like Dallas did. And uh, you know, the first few months I just sat there, I, I didn't, like I said, I didn't speak. I didn't really interrupt anybody. I just listened and I watched how he, he performed his day in and day out routine. And the guy was in year 13, I think when I was a rookie or 13 or 14, maybe. And, and he, he, he approached the game like he was a rookie. Everything was so intentional that he did every meeting. He was in the, in the zone before practice, he's taking footwork, he's catching footballs. And that really impacted me, you know, cause uh, that guy's going to be a future hall of fame and he has nothing left to prove. And yet this is how he approaches every single day. And, uh, you know, throughout the years, I got to know him really well. And he's, you know, just a good friend of mine. And, and uh, you know, I appreciate everything Witt's done for me. You know, it's interesting. I remember a conversation years ago I had with Dan Bailey, ironically, about transitioning to the NFL from college. And one of the things he talked about was 
it's so different in that it's a job. And instead of, as he put it, going back to the dorms and playing video games and screwing around with your friends and, you know, doing what college kids do, it becomes a job and you go home and you don't necessarily hang with the guys after practice is over. But let me ask you this, because you were so focused on just making it, do you feel like maybe that was a bit of a mental edge for you, whereas you really didn't have time to get caught up in any of that. You were just trying to make it, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, uh, you know, moving from the the offense that we had at Oklahoma State to Dallas was just a total new uh, philosophy, uh, language. Everything was kind of new for me. And as a tight end, it's pretty big for us to kind of know every little piece of the puzzle. The plays can be pretty long, 16, 17 words. And I kind of have to know what's going on through everything. And I have other responsibilities when I get to the line of scrimmage. So, uh, you know, I really just didn't have a lot of time to, to, to go out there and, and, and have fun. I was in my playbook from day one of rookie day, uh, yeah, rookie camp and just trying to figure out what, what every play was. So, uh, and after, you know, hundreds and hundreds and then thousands and thousands of mental repetitions going over these things, it finally just clicked. And I was like, okay. I'm ready for this stuff. And then I could focus on, on myself being myself on the field. And that's where it really got fun for me. Yeah. What do you think helped you prepare for that mental transition? Because, you know, people don't realize that either. You go to the NFL and, and, and I remember Brandon Whedon and I had conversations about that. It, it's a whole different language and a whole different way of doing business, you know, on, on offense and defense schematically. But what do you think, what do you think really helped you be able to conquer that mentally quickly because that's one of the reasons Billy Badgema lasted like he did they any team felt like he could learn an offense like in the snap of a finger because he was so good at it what do you think helped you be able to conquer that mental side that sounds like it's pretty pretty big deal yeah it's a big part of the game uh you know even more so than the physical side because there are just so many little nuances and uh you know I just think that it's been a big part of my life growing up I've always kind of had a big um draw to attention to detail and uh, you know, luckily in the NFL, a tight end has to have a, a lot of attention to detail because it's some, some small things that can make a big difference in a game. And I really made sure I focused on these things growing up. And even in college, it was a big thing, part of my life. So, um, you know, under, under Coach Glass, you never really wanted to, to skip a rep or maybe not do that pull up because he's going to find out and it's going to cost you a lot more than just one extra pull up, you know. So I think that uh, those kinds of things growing up through Oklahoma State and then through the, my young uh, years in the league really paid off for me so I think back to that to the first season 2018 where you had a chance to play extensively and I remember I think we may have been traveling when I heard that you had scored three touchdowns against the Giants in the regular season finale and I think the final numbers were seven catches for 119 yards you had to go way back to a guy from my childhood named Billy Joe Dupree who everybody probably listening to this will remember you know, one of the classic names on the great Cowboy teams with Roger Staub back in the 70s, the last time a Cowboys tight end caught three touchdown passes in a game. And there you were against the Giants, three touchdowns. I mean, you you were playing, you'd had catches. It wasn't like it was all new, but to have that big of a game at that point in your experience, walk us through that and sort of what that felt like, especially as sort of an exclamation point at the end of the year. Yeah, I'll kind of give you a background on that that whole year. That was a that was an interesting time in my NFL career and a lot of uh, adversity. I had come into the year with some pretty big hopes for myself and uh, 
when we get to camp, I'm doing well. I'm just not having a great camp, I don't think, personally. Uh, but I'm doing okay. And then we get to the season, and it's just – it was kind of a rough transition for me. I just couldn't really find my footing. I wasn't doing great. And so uh, there's times where I'm starting to kind of slide back in the depth chart. Uh, and then uh, we go to Washington, and, and, and a few guys go down, and we're in a two-minute drill, and our coach is like, who, who can I put in here? Uh, Jarwin, you go because you know that, that's kind of that's kind of in my game is the, the receiving game and and uh, I pride myself on two minute drills. Just back to the attention to detail, understanding what 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 uh, what down it is, how close we are, uh, how much do we need for a first down, where's the field goal line at that we need to get to. Um, throws me in there and, and I made a, a crucial play on a fourth down and I made about fifteen yards, got out of bounds for us. And uh, coach pulled me aside and said, Blake, you know. I'm sorry, you know, that I, I, you know, I just didn't believe in you and, and, but I'm glad you just proved me right. And I'm ready to move forward with this. And that was kind of my moment where I, I kind of got my confidence back and really started towards the back end of the season, playing better and better and better, uh, figuring it all out. And then when we get to New York, it just kind of all clicked for me. And it was everything, you know, I just, every route I ran was pure. Every catch I had, I caught the ball with intention. I was ready to move forward and, and you know, get six, seven extra yards while getting tackled. And, and uh, you know, I had a lot of fun. It was a uh, Dak. Dak threw some great balls that game. Uh, my teammates played great. Uh, you know, and so I definitely don't deserve all that credit. But uh, you know, I think that just being able to do my part was uh, the ability to, to like, like I said, lock in and, and then just have that confidence of myself, just being who I can be on the field, really played a big part of that. You know, it's interesting. It, it, we we we've drifted back to to confidence in these conversations a lot, and. There's just everybody just assumes, you know, as we talked about a smooth transition to the NFL. And, and once you start playing, well, it just sort of happens and it's easy. But there's just, you know, what you've just described as we talked through this, you know, the the physical part, you know, guys being drafted ahead of you, the trying to learn an offense that is it almost sounds like a foreign language in some ways. I mean, it's it's, it's all brand new. I mean. There, there's so much in it and it probably just it takes a long time longer than people think for someone especially at a tight end position where there's a lot going on to get to a point where you know what it's comfortable and you know with comfort comes confidence right I mean that's kind of how it works oh yeah absolutely yeah and uh you know I just like I said I just really kind of kept my head down and made sure I just wanted to be ready when the opportunities presented themselves and uh you know, it, it definitely took a lot of extra hours on the field. Um, I remember my rookie year, my, my, my coach, Coach, uh, coach Loney, he, or Looney, he, uh, we called him Lone Dog, great guy. But uh, he, every day, you know, I was kind of upset about it. He made me go out there 15 minutes before practice and we would just work on footwork, work on footwork. And we work, we go all the way through the script of today's practice and we'd say, uh, you know, this is what we're going to go after. And, and he would get on to me if my foot was, you know, eight inches instead of six inches, he was going to tell me about it. And, you know, in the moment you're like, man, everybody else in the locker room just hanging out and they're having a good time and I'm out here doing footwork. And then, but, you know, towards the end of the season, I started to really appreciate it because I hadn't made so many extra strides from those extra 15 minutes a day than everybody else. It was a, uh, and I look back to that all the time and his, his motto is just master the mundane. And I think about that all the time and that kind of, and anything I do, whether it's rehab or I'm getting bored or something I'm like, man, these are the things that make you better, you know? And, and uh, so I'll always be lone dog was a big asset for me. I miss that guy. He's a, he's a big, big, uh, big coach in my life. And joining us now is Dr. Brett Carver.
Wheat breeder at Oklahoma State University and Regents professor and uh, recognized uh, in the world as one of the great uh, wheat experts and wheat breeders in this industry. And, and let's just start with a harvest recap, a, a wheat recap for this past year. What has the data demonstrated? What have your eyes told you? Well, the eyes definitely told me it was a dry year, just like everybody else could see in the field. And, and uh, you know, it's still a, a good year. We, we, le- we still learned a lot, and that's what's important is what can we learn from it so that we can make decisions moving forward. We have the best breeding material going forward for next year. And, uh, again, the, the dryness uh, did surprise me a little bit in terms of how our varieties responded. We haven't seen a year like this uh, since 2014. And uh, so it, it, my memory, you know, had left me a little bit. But I, I, I saw some things that, that did shock me a little bit. So we had some varieties like Uncharted and OK Corral, which have performed beautifully up till now. And they just didn't seem to take the dry weather, this super dry conditions that we had, as well as, say, a variety like Showdown. And uh, I knew Showdown had that good high yield potential, but I didn't know it had that uh, resilience under those conditions. And I, and, I, and I thought, okay, now let's go back to 2014 because we did have Showdown in our trials then. It was, it's been around that long. And sure enough, 2014, it, was, it really shined in that drought then. So what we saw this year was just a, a repeat of what we've seen before. We just don't see it very often, and thank goodness we don't. Water is really important to wheat. You know, it's, 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 wheat doesn't like wet feet. It's kind of like azaleas. You know, that root system just doesn't tolerate a lot of wet weather, but it needs moisture at certain critical times of the year, like uh, at planting. Uh, early fall and and, uh, in February and early March when that crop is changing from vegetative to reproductive and then we need it in May. We didn't get it in some places none of those times and so it was just going on a dry tank. So I guess it takes time. Every year can be different. Last year was such an unusual weather pattern this year, in some ways, the complete opposite. As you introduce these new varieties, these different weather conditions are almost like different game opponents. The only way to really know how good you are is to sort of be exposed to all the different opponents, if you will, and then over time, you learn, I guess. Am I reading that correctly? That's right. And, you know, you you look at the record, you know, after so many years and so many opponents, and uh, the one that has the best record over all those different opponents and all those different conditions that the wheat crop is exposed to, that's what we actually commercialize. That's what we launch for, for farmers to produce and for consumers to enjoy at the grocery store. That's Dr. Brett Carver, Regents Professor and Wheat Breeder at Oklahoma State University. More to come on the Cowboys Summer Series from Oklahoma Genetics in Learfield. It's a Cowboys Summer Series as we catch up. Some people just know bundling with Allstate means big savings. Just like they know the right ingredient means big flavor. They know honey on pizza is where it's at. And olive oil on ice cream is the cherry on top. And they know when you bundle home and auto with Allstate, you can save up to 25%. Mm -mm. Bundled savings vary by state and are not available in every state. Saving up to 25% is the countrywide average of the maximum available savings off the home policy. Allstate Vehicle and Property Insurance Company and Affiliates, Northbrook, Illinois. With former OSU star tight end, Blake Jarwin, let's talk a little bit more about the Cowboys, and then we'll transition into your Oklahoma State experience. So we were talking about the end of 2018. 2019, obviously, it's it's an entirely different story. It almost seems like the momentum of, of 2018 carried over into 2019. And 
And then you are able to sign a significant contract in March of 2020, if I if my memory serves me correctly. So really, as you stop and think about it, in about a year and a half, things had taken a pretty dramatic turn for the better, it seems. Not that they were bad before, but things really improved pretty quickly. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I think that in 2019, I was kind of firing on all cylinders. I was really becoming a better player. Like we talked about that confidence was really instilled upon me, uh, was learning a lot, um, got some opportunities to be in some interesting just situations on the field that, you know, were good for me. Um, really locked down in, you know, two minute drills, the, uh, third down situations playing the, the F tight end. So the wing kind of tied in a lot and being in motion and doing things like that. Uh, and really it was just, uh, we were clicking and, you know, obviously it, it worked out. My agent did a great job for me and we made a deal that we thought was, was friendly, uh, for both sides. And, and, you know, and then unfortunately you get to 2020 and, uh, you know, things, you know, I never had a major injury before and, you know, into the first half of game one, I tear my ACL. So, uh, you know, it's, it's tough. Um, I have no regrets about it. I think I trained. I had a great camp in 2020. I felt like I was ready to even have a, the, I think I was ready to have the biggest impact in my career. And, you know, it just wasn't in the plans. And uh, it is what it is. You know, I don't have any regrets about it. Like I say, I just move forward and then, you know, just continue to get healthy. How hard is it to accept that you only have so much control, especially when you're, a, you know, you're someone who is beating the odds, beating the odds, beating the odds. And done it the right way. How hard is it to recognize sometimes? Hey, this th- th- there's a finite amount that I can control. Yeah, it's uh, like being the big, the first big injury that I've had. It was definitely it's, it was hard to accept that reality for a little bit. Not necessarily that you know it wasn't there, but it just uh, and you know I had done so much, I had tr- worked so hard, and then it's just taken just like that. And it's that uh, it's nobody nobody did anything wrong. It's just you know, part of the nature of the game. And, uh, you know, it's as I grow older and, you know, I, I respect that part of it a lot more, um, uh, more intentional with things that I, I put in my body with, whether it's, you know, just a diet or, uh, my extra collagen shot that I just took this morning. So, <laughs> uh, you know, I've learned a lot about it. Um, but you know, it, it, it's, I can talk about, I don't have any regrets about it. I, I was poised for a big year and it's, uh, you know, it puts things kind of almost more in perspective. You know, I definitely have a better perspective of myself and, you know, the, my college days and my earlier NFL career. How do you think your Oklahoma State experience prepared you for the NFL and what you have been able to achieve? Uh, I think it did a lot for me. I think that uh, that's the, that was my foundation for the NFL. I think that uh, Coach Gundy and Coach McIndoe, Coach Dunn, um, especially coach glass, they were a big part of my, my development, my, my character, my, but, but also, you know, on the field, it was always important for me to, to, to push myself to grind, to, to almost be on the brink of wanting to give up and then to push through that and to, and to make it. And they all made that uh, a reality for me where I, I had that mindset where I could push through and break through that barrier. And then off the field too, it was just a big part of my life that, uh, you know, they were always pushing me and making me better. And, like I said, you go to the, the undrafted free agent route and you, you're kind of lonely out there. But I had a good base, a good foundation, and I was able to push through that because of those people and, and, and because of the university. So grateful for my time at Oklahoma State. If I remember correctly, you did not. Did you have any Division One offers out of high school, out of Tuttle? Uh, no, no, I didn't have any offers. I had a few in-state D2 offers. Uh, I had talked to uh, 
Texas San Antonio briefly, and uh, but I had landed at a uh, Division two school to go visit. And when I landed, they called me and said, "Hey, we just gave away a scholarship, so we don't need you to, to swing by anymore." So uh, you know, that was that was a pretty big moment in my life. Uh, just kind of you know, almost heartbroken, but also like, hey, I'm ready to go prove something. And so, it was, uh, you know, it's an interesting story in my life, too, is you have a bunch of D2 offers around you and free school ahead of you. And I, I remember having to tell my parents, hey, I, I know that's there, but I, I want to go play at a place where I think I can be a big part of it, you know. And, and uh, you know, obviously, it's not it's, our, our family's so close and, and tight, but that was a big moment in my life where I had finally say, look, I, I need to go do this. They believed in me and they were a big part of my, my jump making into the being a, just a college walk on. And they made that possible for me. So I'm forever thankful for that. And the thing was, if I remember correctly, you contacted OU and OSU and you heard back from Oklahoma state. And even though, as I understand it, you grew up an OU fan, yep. you didn't hear back from Oklahoma. So you, came to Oklahoma state. Is it, I don't know if it's that simple, but that's what I understand. Yeah. Yeah. I was, you know, Jason White, uh, the Heisman trophy winner was actually from Tuttle. And so yep. everybody took in and it was just, you want to be an OU fan cause he's from here. And, uh, I was a big fan and I remember talking to my high school coach and said, coach, I think I can go play at one of these schools. No, I don't have any film or anything, but I, he's like, yeah, I think you can. So I literally, I went home and I emailed OU and OSU and I said, Hey, I'm not looking for a scholarship. I'm just looking for an opportunity to maybe come walk on or something like that. And, uh, Oklahoma State got back to me. Uh, they said, hey, nothing's guaranteed. You're still going to have to come like, come to school and try out, but at least you can come try out, and that was enough for me to, to take that leap. And so, yeah, I, I did the whole, the whole thing. I, I did the 40, the bench press, the vertical, uh, you know, about the first or second week of school. Uh, I think nowadays the walk-on tryouts are a little different at Oklahoma State, but that was, that was my, my tryout story back in, oh, what was that, 2012? Wow. <laughs> Yeah, and the yeah. thing was, of course, in those days, we weren't using tight ends at all. Right. Yeah, I actually was a receiver my my, my freshman year. Mm -hmm. And then uh, <laughs> towards the middle of the second year, I remember we were going to go play Texas Tech. And uh, Coach Gunny came up to me. He's like, hey, just we were stretching. This is before practice. And he's like, hey, um, thinking about starting the tight end position back up. Do you want to you want to do that? <laughs> I'm like uh absolutely yeah of course and uh he's like okay you're gonna have to go with coach wickline and it, you know we don't have a tight ends coach right now but i want you to start learning footwork and stuff like that so the rest of the year i went with the o-line for meetings and everything and that was a total transition from the receiving room for me uh but that was that was where it started right there and i got to travel to texas tech and we to talk about a good phone call you know you get to call your parents and say hey look uh, i'm i'm not going to be home this weekend i'm actually traveling with the team to texas tech and uh and just starting my journey as a tight end and that was 2013, wasn't it? 2013, yeah. Sure. It's so funny that you mentioned that because I was going into practice that week and Mac Butler, longtime director of football operations, would often yeah. catch me as I was walking into practice. I think it was the Wednesday practice. And, and it's the only time in my career that this has happened. So to give it some perspective, he stops me and says, hey, Dave. It's like, yeah, what's up, Mac? He says, hey, do you have do you do you have the Jarwin kid from Tuttle on your chart? I said, no, I, I don't. Should I? He said, you need to put him on there. They're going to start <laughs> using a tight end. He's going to travel to Tech. He's 
he's probably going to get in the game, as he would say. It's like, all right, <laughs> I'll add him. So I went home and typed your name in, and it had a place for a long time after that. It is the only time, Blake, in my career that Mac Butler or anyone else literally <laughs> said to me, do you have this guy on your chart? And the first thing he says is, do you know the Jarwin kid from Tuttle? I said, yeah, he's a walk-on. I said, I don't know a lot about him. He said, well, you need to put him on your chart, and you need to learn something about him. And, and the rest is sort of history. Uh, so that's that's my great story on you, that you're the only player that, that that's ever happened with, which tells you just how fast your stock was rising. So how'd that make you feel when all of a sudden it's like, whoa, I go from simulating Colin Klein the previous year, helping to prepare for K-State, you know, uh, you know, playing the role as the K-State quarterback on the scout team, to now it's like, we're going to put back the tight end, and guess what? You're going to Tech. I, I just can't imagine. And you talk about the phone call. I just can't imagine your... What, what what's running through your head yeah it was a uh, it, it was it was finally like everything you've done has kind of paid off uh you know you if you put in the work um you still got a long way to go and i knew i had a long way to go uh but it is it was finally you know one of those moments where i was like okay I, I i think i did actually make the right decision i've always believed it uh this kind of verifies my my thought process my decisions um and then like i said to, to go back and, and tell the people who helped me get there you know uh, that that was going to be a part of you know where I was headed is is it was just a un- unbelievable feeling and you know my family's always been my backbone my you know the reason I do things uh, you know they they push me in ways that I I didn't know I could be pushed and and, and overcome things and be successful and so to, to to tell them that and and then to start the journey of you know being a tight end at, at the college level was a, a big moment for me and uh, like I said I, I knew at that moment it was time to really buckle in and, and push myself even harder. But uh, I was ready for it. Uh, I looked forward to it every single day. And, uh, you know, to, and those are the moments that I look back on today. And it's really, uh, you know, I appreciate myself and then the people around me for putting in the work and pushing, pushing me. More of Blake Jarwin coming up on the Cowboys Summer Series brought to you by Oklahoma Genetics from Learfield. We continue with Blake Jarwin on the Cowboys Summer Series, former Cowboy tight end from Tuttle, who... Uh, walked onto Oklahoma State, was put on scholarship, became a starter, started for the Dallas Cowboys, and now working his way back, trying to work his way back from a, a hip injury and, and ensuing surgery this past winter. I think if you, if I remember right, you came to Oklahoma State at what, maybe 205, 210, something like that. And then Rob Glass got a hold of you. Probably yeah, one of, one of, uh, there, there have been many, many, many Rob Glass success stories, but you probably would go pretty high on that list because what you, did you start at about 205 and what'd you leave at 245 ish, something like that? Yeah. I think I walked in the building, maybe 205 soaking wet. And uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> be honest with you. Uh, and then, yeah, he, uh, I, I have nothing but incredible things to say about coach glass and the help, the way he helped me develop, uh, as a football player and a man. So, uh, yeah, he definitely, I think he put on 40, 40 pounds on me and, uh, it was all good weight, healthy weight. Uh, <laughs> but I remember through my journey of putting on that weight, I, I'd lose a pound or two every now and then be like, Blake, I've been telling you to go home and you have to eat a pizza every single night. And I know you're not doing that because you're losing weight. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, okay, coach. So he'd make me go home and eat my pizza every day. So, uh, but, uh, <laughs> You know, maybe that's a pretty good problem, I guess, to have where I have to eat a frozen pizza before bed. But, uh, you know, it was a, it was always a, a big joke that we had. Yeah, there are those <laughs> of us who wish we could still do that, but can't. Uh, just, it's just not possible. 
as, as that was going on, as you were watching your body take shape and then seeing the benefits that went with it, I mean, what was running through your mind then? This, this trans, I mean, this literally what sounds like a transformation. Yeah, yeah. You just start to feel uh, yourself getting stronger every single day. All the hard work you're putting in every time is, is paying off. And I'm getting every time we're working out, I'm getting stronger and stronger. And it's starting to correlate onto the field where I've got more power. I've got more speed. Uh, I'm jumping higher and I've got more, you know, physicality in, the, in my game. And so it was all just starting to really come together. And uh, to see that that happen was a, a big moment for me. And, you know, I always craved more, though. I always thought, you know, I'll, I'll push myself more. And I, I've always pushed that envelope in the weight room. And uh, it's paid off big dividends for me. You know, it's interesting. Coach Gundy made a, a comment during the Cowboys Summer Series interview that we did earlier this summer about how yeah, I brought up to him all the comeback victories. I mean, Notre Dame was just an exclamation point on an incredible run of countless big comebacks that Oklahoma State football teams have pulled off. You were a part of a bunch of those during your years here with you know, gosh, I think about the game at Texas Tech in 2015, down 24-7, end up winning 70 to 53. It's a good thing you guys made all that three, all those three-pointers. Oh, wait, that's the wrong sport. That's basketball. But you know, at K-State in 2016, down, I think 13, I think maybe 11 in the fourth quarter in Manhattan. Nobody does that. You guys were the ones that really started doing that on a regular basis. What is it about Oklahoma State? What is it about the preparation, the mindset? that allows those comebacks to happen over and over and over again across a multitude of teams and different groups of players. What do you think? Yeah, I think, I think that that year, I think we got to 10 and 0 with a few of those games. It was kind of, Hey, we got to get, we got to grind here boys. And I think that that started, uh, you know, in the winter program the year before where it was, uh, you know, we just, we were so close as a team and we loved to, to push each other. And it was, I'm going to do my job because I don't want to let that guy down. And that was a big part of our lives. Uh, you know, obviously cowboy culture, you think about those kinds of things. And that's what I think about when I think of cowboy culture is I wanted to be accountable for my teammates, for my team. And I wanted to push myself for these guys. And, uh, you know, that, I think that they, that that started in winter program of the end of the 2014 year. And then we proceeded to push ourselves through the summer and get ready for that year. And so even in moments where, you know, we're down by, a touchdown or two touchdowns and there's only 10 minutes left in the game. We were looking forward to this. This is when it's our time to really shine. Other teams are getting tired. We've worn them out all game. Now it's our time to go take this game over and show our physicality and win this game. And I think that we did that and we did it well. Uh, you, you, that's one of my, my, those the, definitely though, that year may have been one of my favorite years in college because we were so close and we had that ability and that chemistry when things got tough we were going to be able to push through the envelope and really and come out successful. And then, you know, it was, uh, it was incredible. It really was. You know, coach Gundy also made the comment that the ability to go tempo is such an advantage and it's mainly an advantage because the players recognize what an advantage it is for Oklahoma state. And again, that's across multiple teams. Do you agree with that? That again, and that's a big part of those comebacks is the ability to play fast. Is, is that the, the big edge that Oklahoma state has on a regular basis that maybe people don't understand just how important it is. Yeah, I think so. Uh, we were so, like I said, we were so put together and we were so precise with everything and we were able to move so quickly, especially if, you know, we make a big play and we're ready to get on them again and see if we can get another big play out of it. We we're so on top of things and we were ready to roll. And uh, 
definitely was a huge part of our offense, uh, and I think we did a really good job at it. And, and they still do a good job at it. Uh, Coach Gandhi and, and Coach Dunn, they do a great job of getting the guys prepared for, for that, those specific moments. You know, that's kind of a big emphasis of our practices or, you know, when I was there, uh, of just making sure that when, when we're ready to go, you know, turbo plays or whatever, we, uh, we really push it. You know, it is, I think, back to 2015, again, also being a, such a fun memory. You know, it was, it was such a, you know, you think about all the things that happened. The end of 2014, the win over Oklahoma, the Tyree kill, kick, uh, punt return, then beating a very talented Washington team. You know, you know, didn't beat them necessarily sound them, but certain soundly, but certainly comfortably. And then the next team in 2015, with all the comeback wins, I mentioned Texas Tech. He had a big comeback win over Iowa State. You know, Dixon fumbles the punt snap at Texas late in the game. It sets up another game-winning field goal for Dan Bailey, or, or not, pardon me, not for Dan Bailey, but for Ben Grogan. You know, I, I know I got on the bus at Iowa State at 10-0 and 0 thinking, I cannot believe this team is 10-0. and 0. Did you find, did, did, did you and your teammates find yourself in that same position? I mean, obviously you were confident, but 10-0 and 0 and ranked, you know, top six in the country, that, that's a whole different thing. I mean, did you even find yourself thinking, I can't believe we're 10-0, and 0. but you were. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely one of those moments where, like, wow, we, we've really, you know, uh, there's, you know, in, in, in these games, we always knew we were able to push through, but we always knew we could play better, uh, you know. But uh, to get to that moment of 10 0 was an incredible feeling. I'll, I'll just, a little side story, though, is during that game, I ended up, you know, cracking some ribs and, and uh, puncturing a lung. So I was, I was doomed for the next few games. That's right. Uh, I had a little bit different. I was very grateful we were 10-0, but I'm also just <laughs> hoping, you know, I'm going to be okay. And I, I was. I definitely was. It was, uh, it was unfortunate, you know, I got to admit, I didn't get to play versus OU and Baylor the next uh, two games. But, uh, you know, I got back for the, the bowl game for a little bit and, uh, you know, it was, at least got to finish off the season. But, yeah, it was definitely – that was actually my first real injury that I ever had. Oh, gosh, I'm glad you jogged my memory. Now that you say that, I remember that you had a couple of days in the hospital where it was that was not a fun time, obviously, that no one wants that. But now that, oh, my gosh, I can't believe I forgot that. But, yeah, I remember that. Yeah, it was, uh, I was in, down for a while. Yeah, I was in there for a week and I had a, a chest tube and all that. And I had to do all my schoolwork in the hospital bed. But, uh, no, I got out of there and, and yeah, I put a, a plan together with the coaches and, and coach class. And, and we got me back out there for the, the bowl game, at, you know, a little bit. So. Uh, grateful for that. We're with Blake Jarwin and more to come on the Cowboy Summer Series brought to you by Oklahoma Genetics from Learfield. One last segment with Oklahoma State's tight end, Blake Jarwin, who moved on to the Dallas Cowboys, now working his way back from injury after a, a, a great story, a great career at Oklahoma State, great story, uh, moving from walk-on to starter and into the National Football League as a starter. You know, after you signed your contract in 2020, you know, we were just going into COVID, very much in the infancy of COVID, and yet you saw a need to help with people who might need help because no one really knew, you know, how long people were going to be off work. Would there be college football in 2020? And and so you decided, what, what motivated you to help? And, and kind of walk us through that. Yeah, uh, you know, it just, Oklahoma State is such a big part of my life, uh, such a a, it's a home for me and I wanted to to make sure you know I was just given something so incredible uh, I just wanted to give back and I knew that you know doing going into COVID we weren't really sure what was going to happen or how things how long things were going to be shut down so I just wanted to make sure that um 
I did what my heart was telling me and that was to give back to Oklahoma state and to help people who would need it. Um, you know, and it's, uh, uh, I mean, you know, and I, I love that place so much and, uh, I'm thankful for everything that, uh, Oklahoma state's given me. So just to give back a little bit was incredible for me. And, uh, you know, it's a big part of my life now just to make sure I, I continue to give back. And basically, if I remember correctly, the, the, the gift was geared toward, you know, helping people that were employees of the department who, who might need some help uh, during any extended COVID work stoppage. Is that basically the gist of it? Yeah, yeah. You know, you see guys in there that are just every single day working hard and, and, and maybe they don't get the, the attention that they deserve. They, they, you know, they're keeping our locker rooms clean. They're keeping everything ready for us. And uh, I just want to make sure those guys are taken care of in times like that. No, and it was a it was a a wonderful wonderful thing. It's pretty amazing to think what's happened here, and you've been a big part of it. You know how things have changed. You know, not that there wasn't success. There was success here, certainly during a good portion of the '80s. The other points in history, but what's happened in the last you know twenty five years? Well, really, last twenty years in particular, uh, last twenty three perhaps. Pretty remarkable to stop and think what's happened to the program here, and and what a transformation has occurred. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really incredible. It's, it's awesome to kind of have a, you know, that's a part of my history and it's a part of, you know, to see how it's kind of just still continuing to build and we're just gaining steam and being coming more, more successful. And uh, you know, it, it really is incredible. And to be a part of that is a, is amazing feeling. Blake, we appreciate it. Thank you so much. And, and best of luck with the rehab. Thank you, Dave. It's good talking to you. And once again, joined by Oklahoma State wheat breeder and Regents professor, Dr. Brett Carver here at Oklahoma State University. So new genetics, what's coming down the pipeline? Yes, uh, we always have something new to look at, and, and this year is no different. And uh, I think what's leading the the, uh, the pack in terms of novelty and, and I think interest being generated is a new kind of wheat quality. Now we're talking about not just the amount of protein, uh, not uh, milling quality and those kinds of things that we conventionally think about. We're talking about a kind of gluten quality that I think is going to make a difference all the way to the grocery shelf. And, and, and let me explain that a little bit. We, we call the trait BX7 because that's the name of a, a particular protein that's naturally present in wheat. We were able to put that naturally occurring protein with some other proteins, other genetics that exist. And it just happened to be the right combination where we were able to produce a dose strength that just does not exist in hard winter wheat today. So hard winter wheat is really our foundation wheat. That's, that's the wheat that other classes are blended with to produce a, a, a wide array of, of bread products. And so what this BX7 trait does now in this new genetics is it kind of takes a foundation wheat and makes it the complete wheat. It's the complete package. The complete, uh, the complete package allows us to produce bread products now that do not require so many additives on the label. And this is important because consumers are really, I am also paying attention to the label on all food products and bread products included. So the fewer additives we need, I think the better off we're going to be and the more interested consumers are going to be in bread products. That's what's going to happen, I think, in this case. To be able to produce this kind of genetics and get it into the grocery stores, we're going to have to segregate it. We're going to have to keep it separate from everything else, and that's going to be a new kind of production that's, that's, that will take place in Oklahoma. Uh, very briefly, what else is uh, in the works, so to speak? Well, um, 
we're taking the double stop genetics, which is very, uh, it's, it's, it's a trademark uh, of Oklahoma State University. It's really our Cade Cunningham of wheat genetics. You know, it's, 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 it's our best form of genetics, but it's a very thin slice of our entire team. We'd like to be able to spread that out through the program a little bit more. So we took the Clearfield herbicide tolerance trait out of double stop, and now we kept pretty much everything else, but added some other things that would help double stop. You're going to hear about uh, new varieties that now carry that double stop lineage uh, without the Clearfield trait, uh, but with, you know, Hessian fly resistance and, of course, acid soil tolerance and, of course, the, quality, the grazing tolerance. All those things we're used to and higher yield. I'm looking forward to seeing that in farmers' fields. That's Dr. Brett Carver, Regents Professor and Wheat Breeder at Oklahoma State University. More to come on the Cowboy Summer Series from Oklahoma Genetics in Learfield. Back to wrap things up on the Cowboys Summer Series. We hope you enjoyed our visit with former OSU tight end Blake Jarwin. Before we go, we'd like to tell you once again about another OSU wheat variety. And it's another great one, named after the former first lady at Oklahoma State, Ann Hargis. Its name, very simply, Baker's Ann. Baker's Ann is a premium quality variety with high yield, grazeability, and test weight potential, and it's preferred by Miller's. Baker's Ann is still one of OSU's earliest maturing varieties, and it provides top-tier protection against striped rust and acidic soils. Baker's Ann also is another in OSU's Grazen Grain and Golden Grain varieties. To learn more about all of OSU's outstanding wheat varieties, log on to okgenetics.com. That's okgenetics.com. We hope you've enjoyed our entire run of Cowboys Summer Series interviews and the football season just over a month away, so not much longer to wait. Thanks for listening to the entire Cowboys Summer Series brought to you by our friends at Oklahoma Genetics from Learfield. On the Cowboys Sports Network from Learfield, this has been the Oklahoma Genetics Summer Series. Brought to you by Oklahoma Genetics, bringing OSU's world-class wheat varieties to the farmers of the plains. The preceding has been a Learfield presentation on the Cowboys Sports Network.